to Matthew chapter 5. We won't be spending all of our time in Matthew 5, as there's a lot of verses we want to look at that uh, deal with this subject, but we will uh, be looking at, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, in verse 6, for they shall be satisfied. And as I had Jeff read uh, Psalm 63, and there you see the psalmist who uh, desired Christ, clearly desired the Lord more than anything, more than life itself, he says. And uh, so we want to understand what that means for us today. Uh, last week, by review, we saw that meekness comes when we see ourselves as morally bankrupt before the Lord, as undeserving as everyone else for mercy. Uh, anybody, any human being who is proud uh, has no idea who he really is. He, he needs to understand his depravity and he needs to understand the glory, the glory of God and that would put an end to him. Meekness is not weakness, but uses all that one has to serve the Lord. We saw that meekness is not cowardness, but will stand for Christ regardless of the cost. Meekness is not a lack of conviction. It holds to truth and accepts no lie. So, Again, meekness is not being a doormat, but meekness is being submissive to the will of God regardless. We saw, and kind of finished at the end by seeing that meekness will inherit the new heavens and earth, but already has begun to reign in our uh, uh, life now as we reign over sin. Meekness also rules over all things now when we rule them, when we use them to serve the Lord and are not overcome by them. We, we can Rule over those of life now when we uh, are subservient to the Lord and when we obey him in all things. We gain the victory over sin. So these are things that I think we can certainly enjoy even now. Well, we've been seeing that the changed nature of the saints of God that compose the kingdom of God. These are not prescriptive. They're not telling us what we need to do in order to gain the, the kingdom of God. That would be Catholicism. That would be works salvation, right? What we are seeing is a description of those that God has brought into the kingdom and, to some degree, a description of those of what we must become and be in order to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I guess that sounds a little contradictory. It's not that we have to in and of ourselves do these things in order to earn the kingdom, but that when God uh, converts us, we become faithful. We become repentant. We we understand our situation before the Lord and become meek. That's part of it. We will, we will never, in other words, come to Christ by faith if we, if, if we don't be, uh, understand a poorness of spirit. So it's the gateway into the kingdom, but it also describes um, those who are in the kingdom. We don't stop being faithful. We don't stop being meek. We continue in those things. We've also tried to point out that these are qualities that bring immediate benefit of living in the kingdom now. It is not all just what we will enjoy in the hereafter. Instead of pursuing the things of this world, we have found that there is greater happiness and joy in pursuing Christ now and and saying no to our flesh in this life in many cases. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, 
you know, the other option it would be, of course, to usurp the Lord's power and live for self, to to not hunger and thirst after Christ, and to hunger and thirst after whatever satisfies the flesh. But the Bible is replete with examples where that does not end well. Nebuchadnezzar tried to live like this, even a bit living like an animal. Uh, Satan, we know that he hungered for power, to be like the Most High, and, and uh, that did not and will not turn out well for him. And so we're constantly seeing this paradox uh, in that it puts Christ, in putting Christ above our, our immediate needs, we shall find our needs met in a much more fuller way. There's, there, we gain by giving up. That There's that paradox. We, by denying ourselves, we do the best for ourselves. We gain the most for ourselves. That's the paradox of the kingdom of God. And so, uh, people like Nebuchadnezzar, because they hungered and pursued the wrong things, they end up with nothing. They, they end up unsatisfied and frustrated. And that just the opposite of what we see in our text today. Now, of course, we all know that our Declaration of Independence uh, states that we have the right to pursue happiness. But it cannot guarantee happiness. Right? Christ can guarantee Happiness. We have become a nation that sees happiness as a right for everybody, and uh, the government had better give it to me in one way or another. And uh, what makes matters worse is that we believe that um, happiness is found in materialism and in, in pleasing the flesh now, and whatever else the government might offer us. But the, of course, this in turn has just made us into a nation of spoiled, uh, depressed, miserable. Uh, Prozac dependent uh, brats and in a lot of ways because we want it and we want it now we want this flesh happy and we're learning here that that's not the way the kingdom of God works we've used the phrase before deferred blessing, deferred reward that um, you know a child, you raise a child to think that everything he he wants and, and he gets immediately you're not preparing him for real life. And uh, that uh, you've got to work for having things. You've got to uh, wait, save up to have things. And, and wait until you can afford to have things. It's deferred reward. And certainly in the Christian life, we understand it to be the case. Uh, we're never promised anything now except to have the peace of Christ, to have the joy of the Lord. But it, it, we, we know that our true reward comes later. I thought Martin Lloyd-Jones had a good uh, statement about um, this particular uh, beatitude. He says, this beatitude again follows logically from the previous ones. It is a statement to which all the others lead. It is a logical conclusion to which they come. And it is something for which we should all be profoundly thankful and grateful to God. I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. And so, of course, his is he's saying that if you can read this and if you understand what it's saying and if you can agree with this and are experiencing it, then that's good proof of your uh, conversion. 
And so I hope as we go through this, we'll, try, we'll explain it and you'll be able to make that decision and uh, to examine yourself as Martin Lowe joins there says, and I think he, he rightly says is a good way to describe or to examine yourself. So why does Jesus use this description of hunger and thirst? You know, why this particular example or illustration? And, and of course, we know that hunger and thirst speaks of the most important needs of life. So he's talking about the, your basic need. What does a Christian base, know that he basic, he needs more than anything else? In the flesh, we need food and water more than anything else, right? Because there's no life if we don't have that. And of course, we know Jesus is speaking spiritually. And so what is it that we are to want? And what do we need? Not just what we want, but do we understand that we need this more than anything else? Um, a, a starving person knows that he only needs one thing. That's food. Uh, if you're uh, thirsting to death, you need you know you need water. And that everything else becomes far less important. And we understand that's what Christ is saying to some degree. It is your spiritual life that is the most important thing. And that if you have that, then you should be satisfied. And so verse 3 is a description of our spiritual need. Then this hunger can only be filled in Christ. We understand that this is our real need. So it's kind of like a person who is thirsting, uh, you know, to, to death in the wilderness, in the desert. And he's looking for water. Uh, he understands that that's his, nothing else is going to distract him from that. So he might come across a brand new car. But it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter because he needs water. Now, he might drive that car, but he's going to drive it to water, right? His priorities have changed. And, and the person who understands these first few verses that we've looked at, our, our priorities have changed. We realize that what we need is the, the life giver and his righteousness more than even, as the psalmist says, our necessary food. Because I don't need to be alive physically. No, I'm required. I think it's a duty of a person to take care of themselves and to stay alive. We're not to commit suicide. We are to live as long as God gives us breath. It's an important aspect of our existence now. But if and when it is the Lord's will that I die, then that only translates me into the fullness of existence. So, that's the point here. I only need Christ. I don't need anything else at the end of the day. <clears throat> As with the other Beatitudes, there's a gospel sense, obviously, but it doesn't stop there. In other words, once a person comes to see their need of a Savior, then that's all that matters. That's why there's a sense in which I don't beg people to come forward, because when Christ gets hold of your heart, you'll be coming to me, or you'll be coming to somebody, uh, or you'll be coming to Christ for salvation. I, if you got to talk somebody into being saved, they're not ready. When God saves us, he gives us a hunger for his imputed righteousness. But this is describing the desire that we have to be holy. In other words, we don't just say, well, now that I have the righteousness of Christ imputed to me, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven now, then I don't care about being righteous. 
But that doesn't, that's not important to me anymore. Because that, that just shows you don't have a new heart. No, we still want righteousness. We still want to, because we see our Savior. We see who He is. We want to be like Him. We understand that. And there are plenty out there who, who, who would, dis, would disagree with what I just said. They don't think, you can be saved. It says, and you don't have to desire righteousness. You just need desire to get saved and to have your sins forgiven. But if you don't care anything about being conformed to Christ's image and pleasing Him, and if that doesn't mean anything to you, that's okay. Because at least you're saved. But, but I don't think Christ is, is saying that here. And I don't think the New Testament would support that. We, if, if you're a Christian, you know that God is only glorified as we are conformed to His image. So why would you not want that? And so we are to long to be filled with the Spirit and to be conformed to Christ's image. And this is why we know that those who long for Christ hunger for his word and will not let other things come before that. And so, so the, again, the basic idea here is that if we are Christians, we want to hear from the Lord. We want to be satisfied with the words of life and we can't be satisfied apart from it because we know that our spiritual needs are always more important than our physical needs. Again, it doesn't mean we don't have physical responsibilities, but they're of no value to us if we don't have our spiritual needs met. So as with the others, it is something that is certainly necessary for conversion, not not in a way of earning it. Uh, Blaise Pascal said that we all have a God-shaped void in our lives. All men are hungry and thirsty, and I think we're created that way. We were created to need our Savior, to well, to need God. And Adam and Eve fell when they felt that they needed something other than God. So all men are hungry and thirsty. The problem is that we try to fill that emptiness, that hunger, with things other than the Lord. Perhaps there's some here today who are empty. But you're not satisfied. You're, you, don't, you, you're, you don't find fulfillment in life. You, you know you need something else. And, and you have that God-shaped void that you're trying to fill in your life. And so this is an incredible message for you that that can be filled in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so if this describes those in the kingdom, what are we to make of those who feel no real desire for the things of God? who don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, who seem to be satisfied with the, with the things of the world, who show little interest in their souls, it would seem they have very little hunger, right, for the things of God. Isaiah 55, I think, speaks to this. Ho, everyone who thirsts. See, so, again, thirst and hunger is assumed in the natural man, right? And certainly Israel, and, and as we've been studying Israel, you know, in Sunday school, uh, if you ever see a people who were hung, who had a, a longing that they were trying to fill apart from the Lord, that's an example of it. So, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come and buy and eat. You see a paradox there. You have a need, but the one who has no money can have it. You gotta buy it, he says. But you buy it, you don't, you don't buy it with anything. We don't have the money to buy it, right? 
We buy it through Christ. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? That's what we've been saying. You're, you're, you're spending your, 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 your effort, your energy on the flesh and it's never gonna, never gonna get you what you want. Uh, and here the Lord says something really amazing. Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. And of course he's talking about having the Lord and spiritual things. You, you ever remember when your parents maybe were talking to you and they didn't think you were listening, listening to you and your, your mother came up there and she got you by the face and she pointed your face right at you and said, I want you to listen to me. She wanted to make sure you had your attention. Sometimes your wives probably do that to your husband. I'm talking, I want you to listen to me, right? Well, that's, the Lord's doing that. The, our Creator is, is say, taking the time to say, look, listen to me carefully. This is important. Don't, don't let, don't let your mind wander here because if you miss this, you're going to miss everything. So what a gracious thing that God has done. Listen carefully to me. When the Lord saves us, He replaces us. He replaces the dominating desire to please self with a desire to know and please Him. Now, it does, I'm not saying that He replaces completely a desire to please self. He begins the process. He places in as a principle in which I know now that I need Christ more than I need to please myself. And that in knowing Christ and having Christ and serving Christ, I will do myself the most good. So it's not a complete, someday it will be a complete principle within us. But right now it has begun. I at least know. I at least agree with what Christ is saying here, even though my heart isn't fully where it should be. We notice here that the first three principle uh, beatitudes are generally negative in a sense of of turning away from self-preoccupation and sufficiency. But this one is, is kind of, is more positive. It's a natural result of the first three. You know, the first three understands they're poor, they mourn, they're meek. And here is one in which that results in a hungering and a thirsting for something. And so one day God turns on the light and we realize that what we've been trying to live for is just this unsatisfying husk of the world, and we all of a sudden start to long for the sincere word of God. We're like that prodigal son who looks around and says, this is getting me nowhere when I've got in my father, it, we might say in my heavenly father, I've got riches, that more riches I know what to do with. And so what do you do? You go back to the Father. This is why we make no bones of what we're trying to do here. There is this, this in the church, in other words, in the service, this is where the Word of God is taught, and we encourage each other to follow it and to trust it. It's called the edifying the saints. I'm not preaching here just to hear myself speak, and I hope you don't come. In fact, I know you don't come just because you are so enthralled with my oratory uh, gifts. What we're doing is proclaiming the word of God and showing why it's so important and why it's so good to obey it. 
That's edifying the saints. We're building each other up. You get enough sugar pops out of the world and other things. But when you come here, and of course it's true, of course, when you open up and study the Word of God on your own as well, this is where we've got not sugar pops, but, you know, the, the country ham and uh, uh, eggs. Something that's satisfying. Now you say, oh, I don't, you're not satisfied with country fried, you know, country ham and eggs. Well, that's another subject. Huh? But uh, being from the South, yes, that, that's, I, I can, I can do some work with that, right? That's what the Word of God is. It's, it's, uh, I don't think I've told the story. Maybe I have, but, uh, my first church, um, one day, I forget what it was, but I, I had sugar pops. And that was when we still ate that kind of garbage. And, uh, we, we quit doing that. But we, I had sugar pops for breakfast before, uh, Sunday morning, before I preached. And, uh, about halfway through the sermon, I was out of gas. I just, I was kind of bit. And I actually stopped early. I said, I just really, you know, I, I'm going to stop here. And I kind of explained why. And, um, everybody got a laugh out of it. But I learned better. I learned that there's some food that just doesn't do it. And that if you're going to do a work, you've got to, you've got to eat something that's going to give you what you need, the energy you need. And those who are, uh, made alive in Christ realize that that's what I need to live properly, uh, that this world doesn't have what I need. We, we, our, our bodies and our remaining sin wants to argue with us, but we know better. Notice what Jesus says here. Oh, you know, I didn't read Jeremiah 2, uh, 2.13, but this is a great verse. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's bad enough to not be uh, satisfied with Christ, but we look to this world for a replacement, and it, it can't do it. It just can't do the job, right? John, or Jesus said in John chapter 17, 3, and this is eternal life, and, and I'll just qualify this, eternal life is not accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior so you can get a fire escape from hell and live forever. He's saying here that eternal life is not living forever in and of itself. Eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sinned. So it is to know the true and living God, that is life, because he is life, and that's why he gave us life, not just we don't ever die. And that's what the world does, and, and uh, pop Christian culture does, where they look at heaven as a place where you know, you're, you're doing, you're golfing all the time or whatever it is you like to do. Heaven's just this great resort. And they don't understand. They know heaven is wherever Christ is. And because that's what will satisfy us. Um, like these other, like the other verses we've already seen in the Beatitudes, we have a continuous hunger. The, the verb is a continuous action where we are continually hungry and thirsty. That's why we know it's not just about conversion, but it is who we are. We continually uh, hunger and thirst for Christ. Psalm 63, 1. 
the one that, that, that we've read already, the Psalm of David, when, then notice, apply this to what, what we've said to this as we read through it again. When he was in the wilderness of Judah, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. Going back to last week's Sunday school, we talked about how that we are to have a zeal, an eagerness of what we do, otherwise the Lord is not pleased. Earnestly I will seek you, my thirst, my soul thirsts for you. Because if you are starving, you are not going to be lackadaisical in your pursuit of food, right? Am I the only one? I don't think so. I've seen people who are truly hungry. I, I'm, I've never been truly hungry. I admit that. I don't think anyone here has. Never been truly thirsty in, in a life-threatening way. But I've seen it happen. I see what it does, right? And I've been hungry. And I've been hungry enough to where I'm not lackadaisical about my next meal. You can ask my wife. And I'll walk in the kitchen. I tell I'm famished, and she doesn't. Have, you know, don't put up with it, right? I, I'm, I want to eat. That's all he's saying here. Um, the, I understand my situation. This isn't just a game. It's not something that I that you I can take and leave, and you don't care. No, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I know. I realize that without you, I'm I'm going to die. I'm not going to be able to live as I should. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because it is to understand the sovereignty of God and the glory of His holiness. These are the things that are satisfying, that are needful. It is to understand the righteousness of Christ in the cross, right? These are satisfying to me. Because, verse 3, your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, you see? He understands that being in the love of Christ is better than physical life. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So you see, he uses that same illustration of rich food, of physical food, to illustrate these spiritual things. And so without Christ, he's saying life has no meaning. There's no joy, there's no comfort, there's no triumph in affliction. If this world satisfies you, then obviously you're not spiritually hungry. And I would say even if family or money or pleasures are pursued outside of using them for the glory and the service of Christ, you are hungering for the wrong things. In other words, your family only has lasting and fulfilling meaning in Christ. And one reason I know that is because it ends at at death. There won't be that kind of relationship anymore. So it's only given for a purpose now to serve the Lord. And if you use it as the meaning of life, it will not satisfy. Like anything else, it will lead to death. And so any other reason to get married and have children and to love them and to care for them apart from Christ becomes idolatry. So I have an example of what spiritual hunger can do. We have an example, as we said in the prodigal son. 
because it, it got him back to the Father, the source of life. It put God where he should be as the focus of our life because it becomes idolatry otherwise. Now, I'm not saying that loving your family and that families in and of themselves can't bring a measure of joy and fulfillment because, if you know, I'm, I know there are families out there where they don't, they haven't experienced that. They're so miserable that, you know, they don't, some people don't even want to get married and have family because theirs was so miserable. And, and that's a grievous, you know, their, their parents or whoever brought about the situation will pay for that, will be judged for that. But we understand that there's nothing in this life better than the family life in that sense. They can bring a measure of joy and fulfillment. But we see all too often what happens when one realizes that this isn't enough to bring meaning to life. In other words, people will get married, will have a family, and all of a sudden they realize this isn't cutting it. And of course, it's due to their selfishness and whatever. And so they go off looking for something else, right? Because they're, they're looking for something that the family wasn't ever meant to give. They're living in the Lord's world, doing what we must do in life, but it doesn't quite satisfy because the purpose is missing. The purpose of family, the purpose of love, and anything else is to serve the Lord. The Lord uses this language in such a way that emphasizes that one seeks Him, who, who seeks Him will not find disappointment, but instead total satisfaction. You will be satisfied. Um, from what I understand in the Greek, it would mean one who, it generally, usually this word would mean one who is hungry or thirsty, seeks more of something, right? Like like we do. They want some food and water. They're not concerned with all food and water. They just want something, right? But from what I understand, he's using the form of the word that means they, that they're seeking all righteousness and they're finding all satisfaction. They're seeking Christ. And everything that he has, we're not just looking for something, we're looking for everything in Christ. We're looking, there's a definite article, the righteousness is a definite, has a definite article. We're looking for the righteousness that is found in Christ. So blessed are those who want it all. They'll get it all. But I don't mean that in the way we see the advertisements of this world. You can have it all now. That's that's what the world keeps telling us. And Christ says, well, you can have it all now if you have me, but it's a a bit of a down payment. (laughs) Those of us who have been around a while in, in the kingdom of God have found this to be true. And it gets better all the time. And one one day it'll be perfect. It'll be perfect satisfaction. But but we know it's begun. And, and I would rather have Christ than all the things that my heart loves and that I struggle in this life. I know, though, there's a principle in me that knows that, no, I, what I need is Christ. And, and that's what will bring total satisfaction. I can't love him now as I ought to. But when we do pursue Christ as we ought, He always gives us all that we need. Show me one thing that Christ cannot take care of now. And I say this as someone who's been around for a while. 
I've, you know, had my own trials and difficulties, and I've never been in a situation where Christ has not brought me through it, taken care of my needs, given me what I needed, where his word has not been kept, just as it said it would. He, he's never disappointed me. And and I know that he never will. I know, I know that no matter what happens, he, he never will. And, and I know, of course, ultimately that when I die, um, it'll all be worth 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 the while. And so we see another paradox here. While we are hungry and thirsty, we are being satisfied. It's kind of like eating your favorite food. You know, only one or two bites. Uh, all it does really cause you to want more because it tastes so good. The satisfaction isn't just in getting a full stomach. The satisfaction is in the eating. It was something you love, right? That's that's where the satisfaction comes. So with Christ, we never get so full that we don't want any more. Spiritual hunger is is continuous in this life because we we have this itch that constantly needs to be scratched, that void that needs Christ. And as we pursue him, it keeps getting scratched. It, It feels good. It's what we want. It's what we needed. It's like food and hunger in this life. The Lord made it so it perfectly illustrates its inability to satisfy. Because as good as it might be, uh, it, it only satisfies for a little bit of time, right? It's like the Lord is, is just is, is for that very purpose, to illustrate that we need something more than just food and water. And no matter what else in this life that you pursue and get, it doesn't ever bring full satisfaction and there's a reason for that so with Christ the more we learn of him the more we want him because he's what satisfies and I believe in glory it's going to be like eating a smorgasbord if I can put it that way only with a big difference we used to have a in in Chattanooga there was a smorgasbord there called Duff's and I always kind of wondered if that was supposed to be a play on words and, and you know it should have been called stuffs because that's kind of what you do when you go to those places. You just stuff it because you have this smorgasbord. Everything looks, oh my goodness, I love everything. I want, I want it all, right? And you tend to gorge yourself. We would call it being in hog heaven. Well, in glory, all that we desire will be ours. In, in a sense, Christ will be the smorgasbord. He will, there will, there will, it'll be a constant uh, delivering of things that satisfy and taste good and will feel good. Except you're never going to get so full because when you get done eating at Duff's, after a while you look at the food and it and doesn't have the same appeal, right? But not so in glory. In this hungry and thirsting after righteousness. It'll, it'll be like taking that first bite of prime rib, the very first bite when you're hungry and how good that tastes. But it'll always be like that. The second will be as good as the first. Because heaven can't be stale or it wouldn't be heaven. The glory of Christ can't be uh, semi-satisfying or only for a while. He can't be stale or bland. He can't be someone that we would get bored with and we're, and we're looking for something else, right? So we've got it's got to be a place of constant fulfillment of being satisfied. And I can't even imagine it. But, but how, what else could it be? In this life, yes, we're always going to be constantly wanting something else, but not in glory. We read in Psalm 
107.9, For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. And again, it's not talking about physically the hungry the hungry soul he fills with good things. Um, yeah, then Psalm 34. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's really a, a take on what we're learning here, right? We shall not want. We'll be satisfied. She, uh, just as Jesus told the Samaritan woman that she would never thirst again. And we know he, does, he didn't mean that she would never have a physical thirst. But Christ would always meet the needs that she has at that moment, spiritually. All her needs would be met. And as soon as she quit hungering, then after man's love, she's been remember she was had been through five marriages and was on her sixth, uh, I think, living with him. As soon as she she quit hungering for this world uh, gay gay that can never satisfied, she found Christ to be sufficient. And so I think, in a sense, we will always be a needy people, even in glory, because remember that's how we. Adam and Eve were created that way in a perfect environment. They needed something. It was just they needed a creator. Needing the sense that our satisfaction must come from without ourselves. That will, I don't think that will change in glory. But it's how we'll enjoy the Lord because we will have that need constantly satisfied in him. So sin didn't take away the need. It caused us to look for other things to fulfill it. And once sin has been removed and we have perfect union with Christ, we'll be back to where we need to be. All right. So let's just close then by pointing out um, what godly and hungering and thirsting uh, should look like. First of all, it's, there's a should be a dissatisfaction with self. In other words, if you're satisfied with yourself, you're not hungry and thirsting for anything, right? That's why it's so hard for a rich man to be saved, because they're self-satisfied. And they don't realize that what the real need is. So, I, Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, even the richest person, if their eyes have been opened, understands that they've got a big need. They need, they need to be delivered from the body of death. And their riches have, don't help at all, right? So there must be a dissatisfaction with the sin in your, uh, self because you re- realize that it's ruining your ability to serve the Lord. Secondly, you are becoming free of external things to be happy. And again, you know, we can't look at this, it's kind of like we were talking about in Sunday school, the Lord the standards that the Lord holds us to is not perfection as far as our obedience to him. But so it's not that we no longer have have any temptation to be happy in things apart from Christ, but that we are moving towards that understanding that these other things really don't do it. What I need, need is Christ. And we're finding that to be true. So just as that beautiful car couldn't meet the needs of that thirsty man, we will not be happy without the word of God just that so Christ can speak to our souls. We know better. We're tempted away from that, but we know better, and we are pursuing that. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, 
Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me joy and the delight of my heart. For I called upon, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. So he was learning to be uh, satisfied in Christ alone. Thirdly, we are content in trials. That, that's to me a good test. That when the pleasures of the flesh are taken away from me in sickness and in pain, in some sort of suffering, when trials of life come upon me, I have the ability to remain joyful and calm and at peace. And I'm able to maintain a testimony. I'm able to continue to serve others. That I haven't made life all about me being happy. See, I'm learning that. Uh, Psalm uh, 27.7 is interesting. One who is full loathes honey. As we said before, right? You you, you have that smorgasbord and, and when you get so full that you really don't want to see it anymore. But, to the one who is hungry, we're talking about really hungry, eat everything bitter is sweet. In other words, when you're hungry, you know, I would tend to lift up my nose there to snub liver. Mm, don't want it. But if I was hungry enough, I'd, I'd eat it. I'd be happy to do so, right? I think that's what it's saying here. Can we be content and joyful in the bitter experiences of life? Because we understand that that's given to us by the Lord for our good. And so even the bitter is good when I have Christ. Those who hunger after Christ are being satisfied at all times and in all things. And so as the proverb says there, is nourishment in all things if Christ is feeding us. If our hunger is unconditional, we, whatever he sends our way, even the difficult things, and we find the word of God to be true, and the peace and joy still remains. Because a healthy Christian isn't a picky eater. We we are satisfied with Christ in all situations of life. To have Christ is, is enough for us. And so we close here with Psalm 63.1. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where no water is. Do you see this world as your heart and your heart as a wilderness where there's nothing that truly can satisfy apart from having the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's the question we ask ourselves today. And if that's the case, you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness and you are being satisfied. Yes, we will be satisfied fully one day, but you should be already experiencing the satisfaction of Christ if you are saved. And so we have a table here where we eat and drink to illustrate again the reception of Jesus Christ into our life and finding the necessary strength that we need from him. All right? So before we uh, celebrate the Lord's table, though, let's... uh, have Sandra come and we'll sing a song that I think goes along with the message and prepare our hearts for uh, partaking of the Lord's table.